You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Luke chapter 18. Let's turn to Luke chapter 18. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 8 this morning. And um, we made it. Last day of 2017. And as some of you, uh, you know, every time that around the time this year, you take time to look back, and we also take time to look ahead, right? So I don't know what your year was like in 2017. I'm expecting that in a crowd this size that there are some of us who had great joys, just experienced amazing, amazing joys in 2017. If you were to come up with a top 10 list of things that happened, maybe... Eight of them were like just tense. Great. And I'm also aware that as in a crowd this size that some of you would say, you know what, I, I don't know, 2017, if I were to kind of mark out 2017, I'm not sure I would put it in my top 10 years of all the years that I've lived. It's just been a really, really hard kind of year, right? Some of us have experienced great joys. Some of us have experienced great sorrows. We look back, but we also get to look ahead, right? We look ahead. Some of you have uh, made resolutions. Anybody willing to admit that they've made a resolution? Okay. Everybody, most of the people put their hand up are really young, so I, I just tell you this, like when you get to be about my age, you just, you just stop making resolutions. <laughs> But that's what we do this time of year. We resolve to do things a little bit differently. We set goals for ourselves. We certainly have hopes for 2018, and we anticipate things in 2018. We look back, and we look forward. And as we look forward, we should be wanting what God wants for 2018, right? Amen? We should be wanting what God wants. Our desires for our life should be what God desires for our life. And so this is true. I know this is true. What God wants for us is that no matter what the circumstances were in 2017, and no matter what they will be in 2018, that we would be found faithful. We would be found faithful in this upcoming year. No matter what the circumstances. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 says, It's required of stewards that they be found faithful. Matthew 25, verses 21 and 23, I love these words of the master towards a servant when you hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, do you not want to be able to know that you, were, you, you did it? You were faithful to the Lord. Faithful to the Lord. This is what we should want. We should want faithfulness to God. Faithfulness to God. And so as we end 2017 and we Begin 2018, we have decided to focus our attention on prayer because, as it turns out, there's a very strong link between prayer and faithfulness. There's a very strong link between prayer and faithfulness, and Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, reminds us of this. In fact, Jesus reminds us this, and here's your first point. Persevering prayer fuels our faithfulness to God. Persevering prayer fuels our faithfulness to God. Now, Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, the heading in my Bible says it's the parable of the persistent widow. 
But this parable, this story that Jesus tells his disciples in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, is actually part of a greater context. In fact, it's part of a story or a series of teachings that Jesus gave to his disciples starting in chapter 17, verse 20. You'll notice in chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, he's talking to the Pharisees. The Pharisees are asking Jesus about when the kingdom of God would come. Then in verses 22 and following, Jesus begins to describe to his disciples what the days will look like around the coming of the Son of Man. That's, the, that's what Jesus is teaching his disciples about. In verses 26 through 30, he actually describes what these days would look like. He says that they're going to be like the days of Noah and like the days of Lot. Now, um, I imagine in this crowd, many of you know can can remember those stories, right? Those stories in the book of Genesis about the days of Noah and the days of Lot. The days of Noah and the days of Lot were not categorized as faithful days. They were days full of what? Unfaithfulness. But look at how he describes it, how Jesus describes it in verse 27 of chapter 17. He says, just in verse 26, just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. That's what the days are going to be like. What, what are the days going to be like? Well, the days are going to be filled up with things that people do, the ordinary things that they do. That's what they were doing. They were getting married, they were buying and selling, they were making beds, right, cleaning their homes, they were doing all the ordinary kind of things that people normally do, that's what they were doing, and then judgment, that's what Jesus is talking about, that's the context here, and so he goes on from that and he says, and he tells his disciples through analogies, he's reminding them in verses 31 through 37 then, make sure you're ready for the return. He says in verse 32, remember Lot's wife? In other words, don't be like Lot's wife, who, as it turns out, was taken out of Sodom, but Sodom was not taken out of her. She looked back. And that was what her problem was. And so it says in verse 33, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. In other words, Jesus is saying to his disciples, you want to be found faithful, don't you? You want to be found faithful. You don't want to be found unfaithful. And so this is an amazing reminder for us that there's this battle going on inside of each of us. There's a danger that each one of us faces. The ordinary things of eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building can become distractions. Worse than that, they can become problems when they become our desires, our dreams, our goals, our resolutions, our idols. That's all before the story we're about to look at this morning in verses 1 through 8 of chapter 18. Jesus is talking to his disciples of what it's going to be like when the Son of Man returns, and you need to be ready for that, and you should need to be faithful, not like Lot's wife, 
but be faithful. And then he ends this section of his teaching in verse 8 of chapter 18. Just kind of glance down to the end of chapter 18, verse 8. And he asks this question. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find, what's the word? Faith on earth. Persevering prayer fuels our faithfulness to God. Faithfulness is the context of this parable, this story that Jesus gives. And if faithfulness is the context, prayer then is the key. Look at what it says in chapter 18, verse 1. Remember? Faithfulness is the context. He says in chapter 18, verse 1, so because he wants them to be faithful, or maybe his disciples are wondering how they could be faithful, it says in verse 1, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to what? Pray and not lose heart. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. In other words, if you're going to be faithful, if, if the Son of Man is going to return and find faith on the earth, pay attention to this. Pay attention to this. I'm going to teach you how to ought always to pray and not lose heart. In fact, it, it tells us the reason for he, why he gives the parable is he wants to produce an effect, a result. This story is not just for information, it's for transformation, it's for result. It's not for us just to believe more in the importance of prayer, but that we would actually persevere in prayer. Persevering prayer fuels our faithfulness to God. Said, oh man, great. So last Sunday, last weekend in, uh, in, the, in 2017, the guy's going to talk to me about prayer, and I don't, you know, I know what my prayer life's like, right? Would anybody here say that they have like, they have like a 10-star kind of prayer life? No. We all struggle with that, right? We all struggle. So there's no guilt here this morning. Zero guilt. Zero guilt here as we're talking about prayer. Everyone struggles with persevering in prayer. Nobody has arrived. So just turn to your neighbor and say, most people struggle with that. Go ahead, just tell them. Most people struggle with that. It's true, isn't it? Most people struggle with that. But here's the thing. If you want to be found faithful by, to the Lord by, in 2018, if you want to be found faithful, if we, this church, us, want to be found faithful. If we want to be faithful in fulfilling the mission that God has called us on to make disciples, if we want to be found faithful in being the pillar of the truth, if we actually want to be acting out being the family of God and found faithful in that, if we want to be the light on the hill, if we're actually going to be the temple of the Holy Spirit, if we're actually going to act out being the body of Christ, if we're going to be faithful in being a spiritual house offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, if we're going to be able to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into the marvelous light, we must pray, 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 pray. Persevering prayer fuels our faithfulness. It fuels our faithfulness. So let's do that. Let's pray. Let me lead us in a 
prayer this morning, right now. All right, let's just pray. Lord, hear our prayer. Our desire is to be found faithful. We want that for ourselves. We want that for our church. We confess that there's so much that can distract us from being faithful. Good things, good things that sometimes become the idols of our lives. So Spirit, teach us, teach us how to persevere in prayer. Produce this result in our lives. Don't let this just be a time where we learn more about the importance of prayer, but actually move in our hearts together that we would actually do it and persevere in prayer. We place ourselves under the authority of God's word, knowing that Jesus gave us this story so that we would always pray and not lose heart. God, please teach us how to be faithful and how to persevere in our prayer. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you ready? Verse 2. Verse 2. Look at this story. Remember, remember, Jesus has given the, our, us, the, his disciples, this story so that we would ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, verse 2, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Persevering prayer fuels our faithfulness to God. And if we are going to be persevering in our prayer, we need to know this. Persevering prayer requires a dependent heart. It requires a dependent heart. I have, um, four, I have four grandchildren. Four grandchildren, right? Four grandchildren. They're really, really young. I have Elle, who's two and a half years old. And I have Cadence, who's almost two. She'll be turning <coughs> two in a couple of weeks. I have Josiah, who's two weeks old. And I was that's where you go, ah. Oh. And then our fourth grandchild um, is, is, hasn't arrived on the earth yet, but they'll be coming in the middle of January as well. We have four, four beautiful, beautiful grandchildren. And I want to tell you, and I know lots of people have told you this before, but grandparenting is the absolute best. <coughs> There's nothing better for me, from my perspective, than grandparenting. In fact, it's so good, I just think we should have skipped the kid phase and went straight to grandparenting. <laughs> Don't be offended. What I've learned, what I've learned, and I've known this for a long time, but what I've learned recently by watching my grandchildren is that they're totally dependent on their parents. They love grandpa and grandma, but they need mom and dad. 
this story, this parable that Jesus tells us, and tells his disciples and us, is a story of dependence. It's, there's three people, right? There's a widow, there's an adversary, and there's a judge. As soon as you hear the word widow, you should understand that this is a woman who um, obviously is without a husband, and because she's without of a husband in Jesus' days, that has massive social and financial impact in her life. She hasn't remarried, and in this story, she's quite alone. She would have been left with a very small inheritance from her husband. The rest of the inheritance probably would have gone to family members if they had family members. You need to understand that when you hear the word widow in this story, this woman is absolutely destitute. She has nowhere else to turn. She's totally on her own. There's an adversary, literally an accuser, someone who probably has either accused her of wrongdoing, is taking her to court. Can you imagine being somebody that has no resources being taken to court? Or worse than that, maybe he's, he's done something wrong to her, taken something that is hers, taken advantage of her situation. And then there's this judge. There's this judge. I, I mean, this guy is a piece of work, right? An absolute piece of work. It says he doesn't fear God and he does not respect man. You know what that means? It means he doesn't care about what God thinks and he doesn't care about what you think. And when you're uh, trying to get justice, that's a problem. He doesn't care what God thinks. He doesn't care about what you think. And so this is her problem. She has nowhere else to turn and she's totally dependent on this judge. And we're supposed to see ourselves in this story. The disciples are supposed to see themselves. We're supposed to see ourselves like the widow in this story. So here's the question. Do you, do we have a dependent heart towards God? Is, is your heart dependent on God? Now, the, the truth is, the truth is that ever since Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden, when sin entered into the world, we struggle with independence from God. That's kind of like how we're hardwired. We're hardwired to be independent from God. That is, uh, aside from God doing a great work of transformation in our hearts, we're always going to choose to be independent from God, not dependent on God. We're going to choose to do our own thing. So something goes wrong in our life, and our first response, our default mechanism, the thing that we naturally do is we respond by saying, well, I need to solve this problem, or if, if you cause the problem, you need to, cause the, you need to solve the problem. And, and, and you know, we find sometimes we just kind of go through life like that, and eventually we get around to saying, oh, well, maybe I should talk to God about it. I want you to note this in this story. I think this is so important about this widow. You can learn so much from her life. Please note this. It was her desperation that ignited her dependence. Desperation ignites dependence. Now just, you know, notice this quote. Okay, notice this quote. If we are not desperate for God, we will not be dependent on God. If you're not desperate for God, you will not be dependent on God. 
she was desperate. She had nowhere else where she could turn. And so she turned to the only person that she could turn to. And we're supposed to be like the widow. I mean, how, how dependent is your heart on God? And I would suggest to you if your heart is not dependent on God, it's because you're not desperate for him. You're not desperate for God. I think of the justice in which she's trying to seek out. Likewise, there are times in our lives when we're wronged and, and we should be desperate too, but our desperation needs to move us beyond anger and beyond bitterness and to God himself where we're crying out to him, God, I need you. I need you. I think of, of, of God's gift of salvation. Do you remember the day when you realized when you realized that sin had totally separated you from God? Someone told you about the good news that Jesus Christ had paid the penalty for that sin and he had paved the way of forgiveness so that you could have a relationship with God now and forever. And you read a verse like this in the scriptures that says, call on the name of the Lord and be saved. And because you had such a desperate heart, you cried out to God. You said, God, I need you now. I need you. That's desperation. I think of a passage like Ephesians chapter 5 where I am told as a husband that I'm supposed to love my wife like Christ loves the church. Man, that is so more than buying flowers. It's a good start. That, it's about, that's about laying... That, that means I'm supposed to lay down my life for my wife. I just... I got to tell you, I can't do that. On my own, my selfish heart, hardwired to be act independently, independent from God, to look after myself first. I'm telling you, in my own strength, I can't do that. And when I read a passage like Ephesians chapter 5, I, it moves me to understand that I am desperate. If I'm going to fulfill, if I'm going to be faithful to the Lord... I have to have a dependent heart, which is, which is ignited by desperation. I have to be, I'm desperate. God, please protect me from my selfish heart so I can love my wife the way that you want me to. Or I think of a passage like Matthew chapter 20 where we're told as a leader, you're supposed to lead as a servant, not lord it over people like the Gentiles do. And I, I think I go, What? Do you know how hard that is? Like, you don't wake up Monday morning and just say, hey, you know, today I'm just going to serve everybody. You know, that's, I'm just going to be able to do that. You just don't do that. No, you need God to do that. You need God to do something revolutionary inside of your heart and to transform you so that you can actually lead like that. You can, you can be fulfilled like that. You can be faithful like that. You need God. Or 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, which tells us we're supposed to do everything for the glory of God. Even the repetitive tasks of life, like folding laundry, changing diapers, cooking meals, fixing children's problems. Do I need to go on? All of that as an act of worship to the Lord. How in the world 
Am I going to be able to do that in my own strength? You're not going to be able to do that in your own strength. And yet, I know if you're a follower of Christ, inside of you is this longing to be faithful to the Lord because you love Him and you worship Him and you want to do everything that pleases Him. That's what you want to do. You want that for your life. But you can't do it on your own. You won't be dependent on the Lord unless you're desperate for the Lord. Desperation ignites dependence. And when we aren't praying, we're saying to God, God, I have this, I can handle this, I can do this. Persevering in prayer requires a dependent heart. We will not persevere in prayer unless we have a sense of desperation. God, we absolutely need you. Wow. Third point. Persevering prayer is fostered by an expectant heart. Look what it says in verse 3. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary." For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Yeah, she's desperate. This is a really bad situation. I mean, what are the chances that she's going to get justice from a guy who doesn't care what God thinks or what people think? Right? What advice would you have been given to her after the, I don't know, 10th time that she's gone to appeal to the judge who doesn't care what God thinks or doesn't care what people think? She keeps getting, no, don't bother me, I'm at lunch, you know, just stay away. What advice would you give her? Would you, what would you have told her to do? Would you have told her to keep coming? Would you have told her to kind of like, hey, me, you know what, you may... This is just the way it's going to be. You're just going to have to figure this out yourself. What would you have told her to do? Wow. But you know, this widow is expectant. She kept coming to him and saying, she just kept coming to him and saying, why in the world would she just keep coming to him and saying, well, you say because she's desperate. Yeah, but after a while, desperation kind of runs out, doesn't it? She just kept coming and saying. She kept coming and saying. Why was she keeping coming and saying? Because she actually believed that there was the possibility that one one of the times that she kept coming and saying that he would actually give her what she was asking for. Isn't that what he says? You know, that's, that's what he says. He actually says that it was her persistent words that wore him out. Now, We're supposed to be like the widow in this story. The great thing about this story is that the God of this universe is nothing like this judge. Nothing like him. And yet, do we, here's your question, do we believe that the sovereign God of this universe acts through our persevering prayers? Persevering in prayer needs an expectant heart 
where you actually believe that the sovereign God of this universe will act through your persevering in prayer. Do you believe that? Now, there's lots of reasons why uh, God doesn't answer our prayers. Let's look at some of those. Why don't you just put, put some of them up? Okay, here's the first one. Wrong motives. A lot of times, that's a reason why God doesn't answer our prayers. Wrong motives in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Um, or husbands, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, reminds us that if we live with our wives with a lack of understanding, we're not honoring them, right? God is not answering our prayers. It says it. Look it up later. It says it right there, all right? Or if your heart is full of unforgiveness towards other people, Matthew chapter 6, 14 and 15, that's another reason why God might not answer your prayers. Or, not, or you're asking not according to God's will, 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. I, I love God's grace in this too, right? There's sometimes when we don't, act on, we don't ask on purpose for God's will, but sometimes it's, you know, we just, we just don't know better, and God in his grace gives us something better than what we were even asking for. I love God's grace in that. But that's, that's another reason why God doesn't answer prayer. Well, here's, the, here's another one, lacking faith in Mark 11, verses 22 through 24. That's another reason. But here's what I want you to consider this morning. I want you to consider this reason. Look at this. It's because you never asked. James 4, 2. You have not because you ask not. You have to ask. Makes sense. God loves to be pursued. James 4, 8 tells us when we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. Augustine or Augustine says, God does not ask us to tell him our needs that, that he may learn about them, but in order that we may be capable of receiving what he is preparing to give. Samuel Storms puts it this way. He says, don't assume that God will give you something apart from prayer, what God has promised to give us only in response to prayer. Do you actually believe that the sovereign God of this universe acts through your persevering prayers? That's a challenging question. I'll say this. Just because we are thinking about it or we want it doesn't mean that we've asked for it. Our words matter to the Lord. Whether they're audible or whether they're silent, our words matter. I love the picture in Revelation chapter 8, verses 3 through 4. The book of Revelation is... There's, there's two scenes going on in the book of Revelation. There's what's happening in the throne room of heaven, and there's what's happening down on the earth. And here the saints down on the earth are crying out to God for justice. God, give us justice. Give us justice. Give us justice. And Revelation chapter 8, verses 3 through 4, you have this, the scene of the throne room in heaven, and the angels that are there, and it's like the, the prayers of the saints are rising from the earth up into the throne room of heaven, as a great incense offering, as a great act of worship. You can't tell me that our words don't matter. They matter. God longs to hear his saints cry out to him. Ask him. Do you believe that the sovereign God of this universe will act through your persevering prayer? 
What is it that you long for God to do, but you have not asked him to do it with total dependence and absolute expectation? What is it? Is it something about your kids? Is it something about your marriage? Is it something about related to your growth in your relationship with the Lord? What is it? Maybe it's something you asked him about a year ago and you've just stopped asking him for whatever reason. You just don't want to talk to him more about it. What is it? What is that thing that you need to cry out to the Lord with? Ask him. Ask him. So let's do that right now. Right where you're seated, just on your own. Just by yourself. Just bow your head before the Lord. Just take a minute to ask him for something the Spirit of God has placed on your heart right now. Express your desperation and your dependence on him and ask him. Remember these words that Luke wrote in Luke chapter 11. Jesus' words. Those who continue to ask, it will be given. Those that continue to seek will find. Those that continue to knock, the door will be open. So let us pray. Pray. Lord, hear our prayers. Hear our prayers. We're praying in Jesus' name. We're asking you. We're asking you with hearts that are desperate for you, dependent on you, expectant, expectant. Help us to persevere in our prayers because we know, we know that you love to hear us ask. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Persevering prayer is, um, is, requires a dependent heart. It's fostered by an expectant heart, but it's also the result of a faith-filled heart. Faith-filled heart. Verse 6. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily, he says. You persevere in prayer when you know and believe in the character of God. You will persevere in prayer when you know and believe in the character of God. 
There's so much you can learn about God by that one word, that one word here in, in verse 7 where it says, and will not God give justice to his, what's the word? Elect. Elect. There's so much you can learn about God from that one word. If you're part of God's elect, that means you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You have a relationship with God through the work of Jesus Christ alone on the cross for your sins. You have placed total faith in him. You've cried out to him to save you from your sins. That means you're part of God's elect. Elect means that you've been chosen by God. Chosen. Picked out. Selected. That's what God's done for you. He's, he's given you the gift of faith so that you can respond in faith to him. He's chosen you. He's picked you. He's selected you. You're one of those for whom Christ has died and has called into his family. He's adopted you. He's justified you. He is sanctifying you. He is going to glorify you one day. You are one of God's loved ones. You're one of his loved ones. And as Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 39, there's nothing that separates us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Absolutely nothing. God has only your best interests at heart. Only. You are one of his elects. And will not God give justice to his elect? To his elect? I love this story in Genesis chapter 16. It's the story of Hagar. Do you remember who Hagar was? She was the maidservant of Sarah. Remember God gave a promise to Abraham and Sarah that they would have a son, Isaac, except when they got the promise, they were really old, like really old. And so they just didn't think it was possible that they would actually be able to have this son that God had promised them. And so they followed the custom of their day, and Sarah gave her maidservant to Abraham. And you know where this is going. This is going, man, this is not going to work out good. And you're right, it didn't work out well. She got pregnant. Sarah gets jealous. There's this triangle going on in the family, and so much so that Hagar is the low person in this triangle, and so she's, she's, like, she's being attacked by Sarah, and Abraham gives permission to Sarah to do whatever you want with her, and you know what they did with her? They threw her out into the wilderness and left her to die in the middle of the desert, pregnant. You say, wow, this Bible has stories like that? Yeah, the Bible has stories like that. But here's the great part about this story. In Genesis chapter 16, as, a de as, this desperate, as this desperate young woman is out in the middle of the wilderness, she's crying out, she's crying out, and an angel appears to her. This is so cool. An angel? Yeah, an angel appears to her and starts to talk to her and says, you are with child, and you're going to name him. You're going to name this child Ishmael. Right? That should have a little bit of familiarity. Name this child Ishmael. And why? Why would she name him Ishmael? Because the Lord has listened to your cry of affliction. And then, in response to that, she called the name of the Lord, the one that she was responding to here, the Lord himself. She said, you are a God of seeing. I have seen him who looks after me. God 
hears. When we cry out to him, he hears and he sees and he acts. That's why the elect cry out to God day and night here in verse 7. That's why the elect cry out day and night. Why? Because they know what God is like. They know what he's like. They persevere in prayer because they know what God is like. What's he like? He loves you. He always has your best interests at heart. He hears. He sees. He acts. You see what it says in verse 8? Will he delay? He says, those who cry out to him day and night, will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. And you said, whoa, hold on a second. I was tracking with you through this whole story until this point. What do you mean God will give justice to them speedily? I mean, I, gotta conf- I have to confess with you, there have been many times in my life when I wish God had a different timetable. Like my timetable. That's what I mean. I wish he had my timetable. This word here for speedily, for speedily can, it can mean either soon, as in happening really soon, or it can mean swiftly. That is, when it happens, it happens fast. Know this, that in God's time, in his time, it's always soon. In light of eternity, it's always soon, and it's always perfect. And when it happens, it's decisive, and it's swift. I love that about him. When God acts, he acts. The question we need to be asking ourselves in verse 8 is this question. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? If Jesus were to return here to the earth in 2018, and oh, please, Lord, please, please let it be so. If Jesus were to return in 2018, what would he find? Would he find faithfulness or unfaithfulness? What would he find in my life? What would he find in your life? What would he find in the life of our church? Would he find people who are kneeling and standing before him, persevering in their crying out to him with dependent, expectant, and faith-filled hearts? And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. This is why Jesus gave us this story. Would he find us persevering in our prayer that's going to fuel our faithfulness to God? Is that what he's going to find? What's he going to find? What would he find right now? So I want to encourage you right now. Let's just all stand to our feet right now. Let's just stand right now. And I'm going to encourage you right now as we enter into 2018 together as a church, um, I want to encourage you to get together with two or two or three other people, a couple other people around you if you can. If you're not, just stand where you are and you can pray on your own, but I encourage you to kind of get with some others. And I want you to ask God right now to help our church. Pray for our church. Ask God to help our church, us together, to become a church that perseveres in prayer, that we become dependent and expectant and faith-filled with our hearts. 
Pray for the leaders of our church right now, that they would continue to lead us in, in this kind of prayer, this kind of prayer life. We, we've, we want to be faithful to the Lord, right? Do we not want to be faithful to the Lord in 2018? Well, guess what? If the only way that's going to happen is if we pray, 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 pray. That's what Jesus said. Persevere in our prayer. So God, hear our prayers. Right now, let's just pray together. Pray together. Pray for those things. Lord, hear our prayers. Hear our prayers. God, we give you praise because we know you're a God who loves us. You hear us. You see us. And you act. May we believe that. Just hear our prayers hearts that are full of dependence, hearts that are expectant, hearts that are filled with faith because we know who you are. Hear our prayers. We need you. We need you. <laughs> 